Okay, good morning. Uh, I am Karen McNary, and I'm going to be reading this morning from Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. And it reads, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far off from each one of us. This is the word of the Lord. So you have two scriptures in your bulletin today, and um, we're only going to focus on the first one. What I want you to do is, um, as part of our new sermon series, I want you to use the second um, for, um, like, your study for community groups and apply what you um, are learning today. You want me to use the other mic? Hmm? Okay. Just do what I do, and I'll let you do what you do? Okay. All right. So... Just so you know, um, we start a three-week sermon series, um, and in doing so, join a citywide movement with hundreds of churches throughout Metro Charlotte on the art of neighboring, something we haven't done as a church, joined other churches in doing these things. Um, I think we might be the only church in our denomination doing this. So we are doing it with other churches of other denominations in our city as part of the Four Charlotte Network that uh, we're a part of, or I'm a part of anyway. Um, and if you remember Movement Day um, in the city, um, it's part of Movement Day. Um, so apart from the scripture texts and themes that will be preached in concert across the city, the people in our churches will be encouraged to join in doing the art of neighboring as individuals, as groups, and churches. And with that said, I will reference the tools and activities like your bulletin insert today um, that will help you apply what the Bible is teaching us about being good neighbors in our city. And in these sermons, I'll keep the kind of depth and direction of the exegesis, I mean, that's the interpretation of the scripture, simpler um, to fit the purposes of the art of neighboring um, while staying faithful to the text and context, of course. Um, but this week's sermon, um, taking the great commandment literally, calls us, especially us Jesus followers, to do as Jesus summed up in his teaching on the Ten Commandments. That we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And that this was the first and is the first and great commandment, but the second goes along and is inseparable from it. That we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And from our chosen passage from Acts 17 chapter, uh, again, the second scripture I'll bring in a little bit later in your bulletin. But we see that the Bible calls us to take the great commandment literally because of three things I want us to see. First, if you're writing your notes today, point one, we have a divine neighbor. We have a divine neighbor. Secondly, we live in divinely established neighborhoods. And finally, we are set for divine engagement. 
with our neighbors. Divine neighborhood, divinely established neighborhoods, sorry, divine neighbor, uh, we live in divinely established neighborhoods, and finally, divine engagements. So, um, in your scripture today, um, the Apostle Paul finds himself in a neighborhood of philosophers at what I would describe as Oropagus Hall, just my own name for it. And I imagine all these, you know, robe-wearing, Greek-looking dudes, whatever comes in your mind at that point, engage in an ancient version of some sort of, you know, hip-hop cypher. Everybody coming in, spitting out clever rhymes and dropping knowledge in some of the most conscious stuff you could ever hear. And they're all walking around, you know, trying to blow everybody's minds with their religious flow. And on display in the hall are podiums and installations of all their many Greek gods, probably Zeus and Athena and all of them. Then, then Apostle Paul, who we know ain't too bad on the philosophical vibe himself, goes a different direction and brings attention to the one podium and spot in the place with nothing on it or in it labeled to the unknown God. And Paul takes that as an entry point into discussion and introducing them to the God of the Bible and using some of their own word artists and poets of the day, he lets them know that as humble and wise as it might be to admit that there may be another God that we may not know, that this unknown God is and is the living for real God that can be known. Why? Because the God of the Bible, as he explains, is our divine neighbor. In verse 27, Paul tells us that God is not far from each of us. And in verse 28, the next verse um, that you don't have in your bulletin, he says, because that's true, because in God we live and move and have our beings and that we are his offspring. Paul is countering much of the thinking back then. That gods lived up on a mountain or may even be confined by the boundaries set by their Greek, uh, I, I call them their Stan Lees, right? Where people would invent stories like Greek gods were like comic book heroes, right? And so they had weaknesses and they had limitations and they had strengths. And for some gods, they were even limited to their place of worship. And so you could only be near to your God if you were near their place of worship or near their statue or near their picture. But Paul flips that and says, where you live is where the God of the Bible is. Because he is a living and omnipresent, that's all present, all up in your world and life, always been and always will be, wherever you go, God is there. You can't go or live where he isn't and isn't God. The Lord is the divine neighbor and creator of everyone who ever lived, wherever they live, which means God is a divine part and resident in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our associations, in the space of all our relationships, not just because he is everywhere present, but if anything or anyone is present, if anything or anyone is being God is present because he's the only one who can sustain it and hold it together and make it work by his divine presence and power. He is always our neighbor. 
But as Paul says here, he is invisible to us, though he's our neighbor. Verse 27 talks about us, perhaps, he says to these uh, Greek philosophers with their their, uh, empty space of the unknown God. He says, you know, just perhaps, uh, you know, feeling our ways toward God because he's so close, maybe we'll find him. And this is a tricky reading because in context, it means that God is right there, right? Because he's everywhere. But we grope in darkness for him to, in darkness, to find him, right? To seek him as a human being means we do so in darkness, feeling our ways toward him. That even, that therefore, even if we feel for him or even feel him, right? In that darkness, all we can come up with is what these philosophers come up with. There is a God, right? The the best of us without God uh, in our humanity, right? In our brokenness, in our darkness, right? The best we can come up with is, guess what? I know, I can tell, I can see. There must be a God, right? We recognize that he is, but we fail to see who he is. We fail to know in and of ourselves, in our groping, in our feeling, in the fact that, you know, something's out there. I mean, people are spiritual. Ain't people spiritual? I mean, folk know there's something. The great spirit in the sky, right? The circle of life. All kind of stuff. They know something great is surrounding us and around us. And and so they're groping. But just like if you were blind and you were like, what is this? I don't know what this is. Tell me. And you know you're going to come up with something crazy. He is unknown to us. And many people are right there, right? Very religious, like the people Paul was talking to here. Very spiritual. Kind of like this fill-in-the-blank agnosticism, right? Believing there is a spiritual being neighboring with us, but we can't really, as we're called, to love him or engage him back because he's hidden to relationship with us outside of our everyday experience. I don't know whether you have this, but it seems like in every neighborhood, there's that neighbor, right? All of us see their car go by. Like, we know somebody lives there. And we, I mean, I have neighbors where you go and you just see the garage go down. You know, you see the back of their lights, and that's it. You know they are there, but you've had no chance of really connecting with them. They go straight into the garage or straight into the house or straight from the car into the house. You talk about them, though, based on their car or their house color. Oh, yeah, house, the greenhouse on the corner, right? We, we see them. Who lives there? I don't know. Been living around them for years. Have you seen them? The back of the head? Yes. We know their color, their ethnicity. We know them about their yard. They don't take care of the yard. I know that about them, right? Or how invisible or unknowable they are. We even say, they're kind of creepy. We don't really, they don't talk to nobody. Not that you've actually gone over there and knocked on the door, right? But they don't talk to anybody. And the stories fly, don't they? You are even able to make up tales and stories in your own mind, especially me. Because I'm one of them neighbors. When I see, I'm like, Kelly, I wonder what's going on over there. Let me tell you what I saw, and this is what I think. Right? I'm like everybody. You know, we had a house in our neighborhood like for a while. Remember the lady's daughter bought the house, but the lady never moved in. Remember? And I'm like, what is going on over there? 
People going in and out the house and cars showing up, but nobody ever going, right? Caretakers and even her relatives, but never her. All kinds of ideas and rumors and why. And think about what happens on Halloween. Y'all know the house. Don't go to that house. They never have their light on at Halloween. That's because they're evil, right? <laughs> like, you're dressed like a witch or a goblin or something, but they evil because they don't want to have their light on, right? Or that's old man Nelson's house. Don't go over there, right? Nobody ever seen him, right? I mean, we had, I mean, in Charleston, we had this neighborhood, this neighbor, and I don't know, it was just like her yard was all built up, and we saw her little station wagon with the wood on the side go in the back, and you know, she had a bunch of dogs, and we we're like, don't go over there. The last kids that went in there never came out, right? <laughs> the apostle's making the point that God is close to you, but he will never be known to you enough for you to love God. You'll be skeptical about him. You may even hate him just by feeling him there, just by guessing him there, just by seeing all his stuff, just by imagining him, right? Looking at nature, you can say God is like this and God is like that, but, but that he is invisible, necessary neighbor that lives in the darkness of your mind. And many of us are straight satisfied and resigned that that is the way things should be. Not only for ourselves, but for others. We who call ourselves as children, we who say we're related to God, live like it's okay, it's fun, it's normal that people go living around him and with him without knowing him. Partly because he is so invisible. Partly because we don't think God wants to be found. But that can't be. He's chosen, the scripture is saying, to neighbor with us when he doesn't have to. You know, he didn't have to. He could have been an agnostic God, right? He could have been a not present God with no story. He could have had every right to be an absentee father who created all these people but takes no responsibility for them. He could have just kicked us out or kicked us off and rolled out and, or bow his head when he passes by like, I don't want them to see him their daddy, right? But no, he decides to be a present father who is there. But we are in our hearts, in our sin-laden disability, in inability rather, on our own, in our own power, we can't overcome what's necessary to see him and meet him and even introduce ourselves to him. So God's answer for us being a good neighbor to him and him to us is not to leave the neighborhood to make us live in divinely designed neighborhoods. Look at what it says in verse 26 here. And he, that's God, the unknown God to these Greeks, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. When we moved in our neighborhood in Huntersville, we've been there how long? Three years now? Almost three years. New neighborhood, you know. Vermilion is a subdivision with three or four developments with different builders. We're in the Ryan Homes division. But this not, did not happen because Kelly and I and about 500 other people came up with a great idea that we decided that we wanted to build where we want, what we wanted. No, the original developers, can't remember their names. There's a history of it, right, of the family who got it and developed it, um, looked at a plot of land, paid for it, 
and then decide it, right? Which builders, in what place, at what price level to reach this kind of homeowner? We moved into a development of pre-designed choices of homes, and that's why it's called Vermilion and not Brown Million, right? It's not us. Well, I'd be getting paid, right? Instead of paying. Paul is saying everyone lives in a divine development. Not of human design. Though God used you as builders, right? But God has subdivided, the scripture is saying, this world to live where we are. And yes, sin has affected some of that. I'm not, I'm not going to say there aren't wars and segregation and economic issues. But he has put you and allowed you to live where you are in the age and the era you are, next to who you are, next to geographically or institutionally or vocationally or civically. Neighborhoods can take on all kinds of subdivisions. I want to make that clear. But regardless of what kind of neighborhood you're in, it was God's divine development. Which means, therefore, we have been divinely placed by God where he wants us to be, to be neighbors with him, but to be neighbors with our neighbors. And we are Christians, come on, we have this weird arrogance we talk about. I don't know if it's arrogance, it's just what we do. We pray, and we believe God gave us this house. Oh, Lord, please, even before closing, Lord, we just have a peace that this is where you want us to live, right? I would like to have a peace to live in some other neighborhoods too, but he didn't give me that peace, <laughs> right? Because the mortgage company said, no, we can't give you a piece of our money no matter how much peace God gave you, right? You can't afford this peace. Right? You, you, you know, and, and, and so you it's kind of some sovereign providential stuff, right, built into it. And we pray, and sometimes God lets us move in neighborhoods we shouldn't even be in. Sometimes we're stuck in neighborhoods we really want to get out of, right? And, and, and there's this providential shaping of it, even beyond our own control. But, but Christians say, the reason I'm in this neighborhood is God put us there. And we justify what we pay for our mortgage. We justify how far we drive because we believe God put us there. Here's the deal. Every single one of your neighbors or coworkers were sent and placed by God to be there without praying to him or going through religious exercise to get there. The scripture is saying not only those who pray, get everybody else praying and fasting, right? Move in a neighborhood because they did that. No, it said that God has designed the places for you to live in the area you're supposed to live because it is his development to make you neighbors of the neighbors you're with and make them neighbors with you. It is God's design that we are in the same office. Or shop at the same Target, or be at the same watering hole, or coffee shop, or brewery, or school, 
or class or dorm room or neighborhood, though separately separated ethnically uh, and, and economically in diversified spaces, we're still crossing and, and intersecting people, right? That God has designed, like we cross the street and it's the same person crossing Tryon. Hey, what's up? Saw you yesterday, right? You must be going to work the same time, right? It's just this intersection that, that God is causing, possibly folks working for us even, or for our companies, or delivering our mail, right? Or picking up our trash, or hear this, the familiar objects of our prosperity, and, or, or what we are selling, or the focus of our conversations, that we know people as, as dots on the map of our city and color-coded neighborhoods, and on and on that we haven't met yet, each one of those dots, each one of those people that make the colors up on our maps were divinely placed by God to be neighbors of neighbors and neighbors of his. The Bible is teaching God is divinely developed and then place you and me and everyone to be neighbors, intersect each other in time and space to live where we can touch and be touched and reach out and see and find and connect with others. But unfortunately, our divinely developed and placed neighborhoods and lives within those spaces and places we and they, right? We're walking around in the flesh, y'all, right? Divinely placed. And we're still invisible to each other like God is invisible to so many of us. Because we ignore them. Or they've, like Paul saw at Aeropagus, have become, people in our lives have become fixtures, right? They've become statues. They've become, it's become okay to have a place in our lives or a house in our lives or people in our lives as unknown people, like the unknown God. Unknown and unimportant to us. I tell you, it's impossible to break out of that. It's impossible to see people the way we should or could and love them as God is calling us to in the great commandment if we are spiritually blind to the intentionality God has in putting them and us together in this neighboring space. Some of us think we got to get on a bus or a plane to be on the mission trip. You know, know what the scripture is telling us? There isn't one person in this room that isn't called to the mission field. This isn't your home, Christians. Y'all forgot? You got that house. You got that condo. You in the spot you are because God has called you to that mission place. He divinely placed you there. I know you want to think it was just a manifestation of the American dream. It was always God's dream to have you live where you want, where you live, right? It was his vision to have you live where you live, not for you, but to be part of his divinely designed and developed neighborhood so that we can reach out and find him and recognize him. And even for us believers, as we look at the mission field and people around us, to actually seek him. Do you know how much praying I do because how scared I am to go say something to my neighbors? Lord, I forgot. I repent. Help me. 
I'm blind to your purpose right now. <laughs> we'll get to some of that later in this series. If we do this, I mean, if we continue to have unknown people in our lives that have been divinely placed in neighborhoods with us, um, loneliness will destroy us, right? Like, this is saying God has not called us to be lonely. Um, I was, uh, th- there's an episode, I-, I watched that Explain thing on Netflix. I don't know if y'all watch this. Stuff's pretty good because it's only like 20 or 30 minutes long. You can get a quick knowledge, some quick knowledge, and then you can go somewhere and, and pretend you know what you're talking about. I love that. <laughs> so you watch these little snippets of stuff, and uh, they had one on cults recently. That was the latest one on how cults come together. And they said that the number one growing health risk that feeds other health risk in our country is loneliness. us. And they said that the growth of virtual world, the phones, the computers, kids walk around with this, you know, and my kids ain't in here. Okay. But I kind of want my kids to say, daddy, can you drop us off at the mall? They don't want to go to the mall. I'm like, why don't you want to go to the mall? We all right here, dad. Loneliness. Because guess what? Who you are isn't who you are on that virtual all the time. And who they are aren't who they are in that virtual. See, you get to know people when you neighbor with them. Not just because you see them or experience them in a virtual world. That's why the neighboring piece is important. That's why geography and people being and sharing the same air as you, in the same food as you, in the same table as you, at the same spot is what God is talking about, that his hands have placed that stuff together. But loneliness is leading to, to, to all kind of, uh, uh, it, it's hurting those who suffer with mental health issues. Um, there is a longer recovery period. There is um, substance abuse in those situations. There is, you know, all kind of personality disorders that are irritated by that. Um, And so loneliness is a growing health risk in our country. And we're fine with it, so many of us believers. I have to admit, I got to repent because I kind of am too. I kind of like virtual world better than my neighbor. I would love to talk to my neighbor on the text message, but to go over there and have a real conversation, oh, I'm so scared, right? It's easy when I have an object, though, like, hey, your Amazon package. Okay, good. Good to see you. I'm out. But cults are rising because of that, right? People going ahead and joining the crew of the unknown God, right? They're going ahead and making religion of a non-God of the universe religion, right? Which is seeking, um, so what God is saying is we come together because he desires that we have divine engagement with him and our neighbors. Paul explains here that we have been divinely placed so that we can reach out and maybe, script for verse 27, we can reach out and maybe find God, yes, but also to be found and engaged by your neighbors. 
So the Apostle Paul here, when you read the whole story of him walking up into Areopagus or Mars Hill or wherever he is, the Apostle Paul, not, not, not only sh- he shows us by example what it looks like to engage our earthly neighbors. He's dealing with people who are groping for a God they sort of guess might be there. And so he takes what they have and he builds a bridge in conversation to them. He says, your own poet say this, you see this, wow, that's pretty good. You got an unknown God. At least you didn't leave him out. But let me tell you, he ain't out, right? Like, not bad, good. You always compliment people. Hey, you know, you, 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 good try, right? A little short, but good try. And he, he, he is engaging in conversations as far as they can go. He's dealing with people who are growing. They don't know the Lord's name or how far his reach is or love is or much else other than he is out there and alien to them in a number of ways. And the apostle takes up his place as a, as a neighbor. And who is he? He is like a member, an accepted member, member of the country club of the Oropagus neighborhood, of religious philosophers and MCs and believes what he teaches, that God has divinely put you here and has you groping in his hair and now has put me, Paul here, to take your hand in the darkness or be used by God to turn on the light, to invite you into a space so that you can finally meet the God who has yet to be seen and respected and loved by you. Paul is loving his neighbor by going to where they are in a place and way of common understanding is one called to make a divine engagement and connection with those around him, living around him. Divine because he believes and knows that God put him there, not to just enjoy the neighborhood or the pool or the golf club or to feel safe or or be in all the good schools or have the nice eateries all around you, but to reach out to people groping in darkness for their lives, for meaning, purpose in their lives, so they too can know why they are where they are and who they are, how they are, and thank and love the one who is the divine developer and life giver. I've been wanting to know my neighbors a little better. I want them to love my boys when they see him out there. I want to know who their dogs and their kids are. Just in case somebody get lost. Don't you mean... Just in case we need each other. The other day I was driving my car. I see the same woman walking every day, exercising, right? And this particular morning, I went to a little coffee shop that just opened up down the street from us. Went there and was driving back home to work on my sermon and stuff. And I saw this older lady fall, right? Like she, she didn't see a hole in the grass. She was just walking normal, Right? And then she just disappeared. I was like, what happened? It was weird because I'm like, hey, what? And then I thought, did I cause her to fall? Because I waved and she looked at me. I mean, I didn't know what. And I went up a little further. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to do this. And I rewound. I back up. You okay? She goes, you know, at first she might be embarrassed. So I just gave it some time. I'm like, you know how you have to let the embarrassment wear off? I know if I fail, let it wear off a little bit for me. Then... Because if you say, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, man. You good. You left your leg back there. Oh, okay. I'm good. Yeah. Right? I was like, you, you want to ride home? Like, I can help you. There, she was like, I'm good. I really am good, right? Neighboring, right? We're, we're, we're. 
these are things that neighbors do to love, to help those who are lost, right? To get back um, in their brokenness, uh, separated, confused, right? Falling down in their lives. But it's also being a good neighbor who finds the house at Halloween with the full-size candy bars, right? That's being a good neighbor too. When you show up like, hey, where, where you got that? That house down there. They got the full-size Snickers. They don't know any better, right? They didn't know you buy the bags with the little ones. This is their first Halloween. Go over there right now, right? And they got the big boxes from Sam's. They don't know, clump. They got the big $2 Snickers. They don't know no better, yes. And you tell them, and you might even share yours. See, take one, but go over there and get two, right? Or the neighbor who doesn't care, they just got the candy sitting out on the porch. Go over there, right? We tell them about the God who has benefits for their brokenness. They live in half-life. We're like, we know a divine neighbor who gives full life. You're missing out. And you over there with the big candy. Thank you, God. Your neighbors over there, they got, they got getting the sweetness of life that God has promised. And not that life is going to be perfect. Life ain't a box of chocolate. I'm sorry, Forrest Gump. It ain't. Sometimes there's some bitter chocolates in there. There's some nasty stuff. But there is somebody who's willing to love you, right? To give you. And we're getting it. We sit in, and, and if you're a Christian, you're, you know, you're an evangelical Christian like I am, and you be praying that you believe God gave you that house, you're sitting up there in God's blessing as if that's all there is. You're just enjoying your good God life. How can that be being a good neighbor? Right? If you see your neighbor's house burning down, I mean, yeah, mine is good. Thank you, God. The art of neighboring, as we'll learn, is learning how to set up structure, to be creative, to be excited about it, and actually go into the divine engagement God has not only set you on, but your neighbor equally on by putting them in the neighborhood with believers, with relatives of God. They have a divine engagement. You and I are called to be matchmaker and be the place they meet and the people who connect and introduce them with, with no promises that they will love one another, but that they would meet one another, Right? which tells us this is less about engaging our neighbors and about the Lord, more about the Lord engaging us. Now, we learned early that in all they're doing, all of their great religious ways, smart philosophers had groped in darkness to seek and find the Lord and couldn't and didn't until their neighbor, Paul, God, through Paul, found them. Let me clear this up. This passage is not about Paul finding his neighbors. Yes, about Paul being obedient and going to them and loving them, but not finding them, but about how God found Paul's neighbors through his divine design and development and plan and desire for Paul to go. When I was in my neighbor, growing up in my neighborhood, I was reminded about when um, one of the children in the neighborhood went missing. And we, we weren't like 
we knew each other a little bit, but we weren't like block party neighbors. You know, we, we didn't always get together. But when it was when little Miles White down the street, who was later found underneath his mom's sewing table all the time playing hide and seek, that brought us together to look for him. I remember how pressing it was. My dad always watched Walter Cronkite on TV, right? He always watched the news, right? And he had, we had a color TV. See, that was something to brag we got. I don't know about that. <laughs> and they're like, Alfonso, we, we got, you know, Miles is lost. Really? Well, let's all go. Amazing how disaster and dilemma. I remember when Hurricane Hugo hit and just the neighbors all out there raking each other's yards. One thing that wouldn't happen, and I remember that night when Miles was lost. My mom said, you stay home. I'm like, I want to help. Nope. You stay in. We don't need two of y'all lost, right? It was scary. We didn't know. Do you understand when you look at your neighborhood and we see that we're God's offspring, everybody? I want you to kind of see that our neighborhoods are filled with lost kids. Groping for their heavenly father in darkness. Led away in brokenness. And God, our neighbor, did something no parent would do. He sent his son out to find us. To himself be snatched by this world. To himself become alienated and lost to his father on the cross. So that we could come together around his cross and his death sacrifices, neighbors who love each other. And around a father, God the father who gave him up to find us so that he can love us. And no one sends us out, no. He puts us in place, right? And, and I'm sorry, and now he sends us out. He puts us in place to be good neighbors for those who are suffering and lost, separated from the love and mercy and justice of God. We neighbor only because, and as we recognize and grow in accepting and believing that Jesus Christ is the good neighbor. He came to be the neighbor who loves God and loves us like himself. Love us like a son or daughter of God reconnected us with the Father and love for him. He took the great commandment literally so that we could take the great command, literally.